Hello and welcome to another episode of Romance Aloud, the RNA 60 podcast celebrating 60 years of the Romantic Novelist Association in the UK. I'm Ian Skillicorn, and in this special series, I'm talking to RNA members about their own books and the authors from the association's 60 year history whose work means the most to them. This time, I'm delighted to be joined by Jill Mansell, the Sunday Times best selling author of over 30 books and recipient of the RNA's Outstanding Achievement Award. When I spoke to Jill, she started off by telling me how she began writing fiction whilst working in the NHS. Well, I worked there for 18 years altogether, but it was probably about 12 or 13 years after I'd started working there that I just wondered if there was a way that I could make more money than I was getting working in the NHS. I was working in clinical neurophysiology. So I saw an article in a Sunday supplement about women who transformed their lives by becoming best-selling authors. And I just thought I'd have a little go at that. (laughs) So reading that article was really what got you started. Well, yes. So I, I joined a local evening class in creative writing and started from there. And the class was run by a lady who'd written for Mills and Boone. And at the time... The Mills and Boone genre was going through a huge sort of best-selling phase. So I tried to emulate that style for my books and I wanted to become a Mills and Boone author. And I soon discovered it's an awful lot harder than everybody thinks because it's a really difficult thing to get right. And particularly with me, my feedback from them, they were turning down my books and saying, well, you can write but you're being too funny. We don't want funny in our Mills and Boone novels. So they just rejected me. I think I wrote about five or six or seven, maybe. And then in the end, they kept saying, no, it's still too funny, still too funny. And I discovered that I just couldn't write books that weren't funny. So in the end, I decided that I would try and write the kind of book that I liked reading myself. (laughs) And I just found it was automatically an easier style for me and it came really naturally to me. So that's what I did. And what was the first work that you actually had published? Articles in magazines. Part of the the homework set in our evening class each week was to write an article and send it off to be sold to a magazine. And I did sell a series of humorous articles to a monthly magazine. And it was brilliant. It was so exciting because... Every time I sold one, I'd buy a little piece of furniture for my house. So a chair and a table and a coffee table, things like that. But that was always just homework. I found it quite difficult to do. And all I really wanted to do was to write novels. So after being rejected by Mills and Boone all those times, then I wrote my first novel, which was Fast Friends. And that was more of a sort of a blockbuster style, a bit like Judith Krantz, who was an American writer, very glitzy, glamorous books. So mine weren't as glitzy and glamorous as that. They were sort of more down to earth, a little bit like more British. (laughs) And so when I'd written it, I sent it off to a couple of agents and it was rejected by them. One said the book was too boring and not enough happened in it. And the second one said it was too much happened in it. It was too confusing. Too many things happened in it. And it cost me so much to send off this massive book. 
in the post and include the return postage. But I just thought, well, I'll send it off to one more agent and if they reject it, I'll give up. I'll just, I'll decide that that's it. I've tried and I failed. So I sent it off to an agent called Jane Judd and all these years later, she's, she's still my agent. She received the book and she phoned me up and said, I love this book and I know I can sell it. I was at the point when you decided to leave the NHS and write full time. No, I carried on. Um, I'd written the first one while I was working in the hospital. Then I wrote the second one while I was still working there as well. And then I, oh yes, I found out I was expecting my daughter, my first child. And so at that time, it just seemed like a good idea to give up work and write at home and hope that my little baby would sleep all day and let me get on with the writing. That didn't happen. <laughs> but do sort of carry on. And you, even if you've only got sort of 10 minutes at a time, you, you just make the best of it and you keep the book going in your head. And then when you do have a small amount of time to write it all down, you do it quickly. So yes, it was quite hard with small children, um, but you just carry on. That's your job. What comes first for you, the idea for a plot or a character? Um, A bit of both, really. I try not to think of a really brilliant idea before I finish the last book, because otherwise I'll just want to get on with the exciting new idea and and give up on the the book that I'm supposed to be finishing. So I sort of finish a book, like at the moment I finished a book last week. And so now I'm sort of like a meerkat. I'm just looking everywhere for an idea to start me off. And it's quite difficult because I think this is my 33rd book. So I've got to think of an idea that I've never used before, which is quite hard. (laughs) So are you starting to think about the next book as soon as you finish the current one? Um, Yes, because I, I get nervous if I haven't got an idea or a book on the go. So... I do just like to start. I mean, it might be a slow start, but it's just thinking of where it's going to be set. What's it going to be about? What's the big hook? And you can start sort of slowly gathering your characters together because I famously have an awful lot of characters in my books. And I also have an awful lot of subplots as well. But it's it's difficult to remember what, especially when your memory is as bad as mine, it's quite hard sometimes to remember what you've written before. And sometimes I'll be happily writing away thinking, well, this is fantastic. I've never thought of doing this before. And and then all of a sudden I realised that I have. And it's it's a nightmare. And the, the thing is, with my books, I mean, I suppose I'm really lucky that people are still reading the old ones just as often as the newer ones. But if I use a type of small subplot that I've used in another book. Somebody else might just have read that previous book that I wrote 25 years ago. And they'll say, oh, you've written that already. So now you're writing it again in this book. Why are you doing that? Because for them, it's quite recent. But for me, it's it's a lifetime ago. <laughs> I should have made note of all the character names that I've ever used in books and all the subplots that I've ever used. But obviously, I didn't. So... <laughs> It's complicated. What can I say? (laughs) Well, among their many qualities, your books are known for their wit and their humour. 
What and who makes you laugh? Oh, gosh. Now you're putting me on the spot. Um, Jenny Colgan writes lovely, humorous books. And Sophie Kinsella does as well. I don't know. I try and write the kind of books where people wish they were there. They wish they knew the characters and were living in the books with those people. Yeah, that's what I aim for. Obviously, don't always achieve it, but uh, it's a nice thing to aim for. Now, can you tell us which author you've chosen to talk about for RNA 60 and why have you chosen her? I have chosen Jilly Cooper. She is my writing hero. And we've got a lot of history from me being a fan. And I think it must have started 50 years ago because my parents never had the Sunday Times. She started off as a columnist in the Sunday Times. That was her first writing job. But uh, my parents didn't get the Sunday Times, but my uncle who lived in Coventry did. And when he sort of brought a newspaper down with him, I discovered these columns that she wrote. And so after that, he would always cut them out and save them for me each Sunday. And then every few weeks when he came down to visit us, oh, it would just be like Christmas because he'd have this little sort of package of the columns cut out from his paper for me to read. And I just used to read them over and over again. I thought they were so brilliant, so funny, so relevant and witty and uh, gorgeous. So, yeah, I think it's about 50 years ago that that started. And then she wrote her shorter romantic fiction, which I think was initially they were short stories in magazines. But then a publisher asked her to extend them make them bigger and turn them into probably about 50,000 word books each. The Emily and the Harriet and the Bella, those. And I loved those as well. And then, of course, she went into the the blockbuster level. And the first one of those was Rivals, which was absolutely a life changer, I think. I don't think anybody had ever written anything like that before. And it was so... Brilliant and lovely. And again, you wished that you lived in that world. So that was it. When I suddenly saw in this magazine and thought, oh, I could try and be a writer, that was the kind of um, feel of novel that I was aiming to write. And, uh, and yeah, fantastic. She's, she's just such an amazing woman. So what is it about a Jilly Cooper novel that she can do for you as a reader that sets her apart? Uh, well, I think, as I say, I, it's a world that you want to live in, really. You wish you were there. You're fascinated by the characters. She's really brilliant at writing descriptive passages of nature, which is my absolute personal nemesis. I, I really, really hate writing descriptions of scene scenery, and I just can't do it. I'm useless at it. So that's her forte. She's very fond of her puns. She just, uh, millions and millions of girls and women have just grown up adoring her books. And she's just carried on for all this time. She's just sensational. Why do you think we as readers are so interested in the lives of the upper class and what they get up to? Oh, gosh. (laughs) Um, Well, her characters aren't all upper class. I suppose most of them are. But then I think I'm probably more interested in the the poorer characters living and working with the upper classes. And I suppose it's the same as watching Downton Abbey, which I belatedly discovered this year and watched all 54 episodes or however many it was. 
But it is just nice to see how the other half live. Yeah, it's it's lovely. Do you have a favourite character from a Jilly Cooper novel? Well, obviously, everybody loves Rupert Campbell Black. <laughs> um, I like Billy and Janie Lloyd Fox, who are in several of the books, and they first appear, obviously, in Riders. But I find those interesting. And also, when I'm writing my books... I tend to prefer writing about my sort of sub-characters almost more than my main characters. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because they can be more flawed and interesting. But, um, yes, I, I tend to go for the quirky, interesting, normal characters, the not-so-beautiful, not-so-stunningly attractive. They're the ones that are more interesting to me. There have been TV adaptations of some of Jilly Cooper's novels, like Riders. Do they live up to the books for you? Um, no, I, I don't know if they can. I think if you're a real reader, you're nearly always going to prefer the book because you've got your own characters in your head. And especially if you've really loved a book such as Riders. And I know that they said that Rupert Campbell Black had blonde hair, but in my head he had dark hair. <laughs> and so then when I saw that on the television, it, it doesn't fit at all with what's in my head. So um, so I, I, think, I think most of us real readers always prefer the books, definitely. And then you can just choose exactly how you want them to look. <laughs> what about in your own work? Do you have an image in your head of your own characters? I never do, no. I never know what my characters look like at all. It's like they're little bubbles of... I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. I don't look at them and I don't know what they look like. I feel as if I'm just in their heads the whole time. So if you were just in a character's head, you wouldn't know what you looked like. So even when I get to the end of 550 pages of writing a book, like I just did last week, if I'm having to mention what the main characters looks like, I still have to refer to my cheat sheet to find out whether they are dark-haired or blonde or tall or short or whatever. I have no idea whatsoever. And I never pictured a main character as anybody in real life. So, yeah, we, we all do it differently. And mine are just, they're just talking heads, really. <laughs> yeah. No, I have no idea what any of them look like. <laughs> That's interesting. Well, Jilly Cooper's written lots of non-fiction too on a wide range of subjects. Have you read any of those books? And if so, is there anyone in particular that stands out for you? I've read all of them. I think I've read everything she's ever written. And I used to have the books that were the compilations of the pieces in the um, Times and then in the Mail. I think she wrote for the Mail for a short while. One of my favourites was The Common Years, when she was living in London and going for walks with her dogs on Putney Common and meeting up with the other dog walkers. I love that book. Again, it's because of the sort of the lovely way she writes about the passing of time and the different flowers and leaves and things. See, this is what I'm like. I don't know how to describe flowers and leaves. <laughs> but that's a lovely book. And I've recommended that to so many people who've never tried it. It's really lovely. Yes, I mean, I've never read anything by her that I haven't loved. Well, like you, Jilly Cooper's won the RNA's Outstanding Achievement Award. Did you actually get to meet her at the ceremony? 
No, that was, I couldn't go that year and I didn't know that she was going. So that was a real shame. I have met her a couple of times at different sort of parties and uh, a couple of book signings as well. Yes, I've queued up to have my book signed by her. And she's just a lovely, lovely person. Everybody adores her. I would love to be one of those people like her where people say, oh, isn't Jill nice? <laughs> uh, like everybody says about Jilly. Yeah, she's, she's incredible. Well, she famously lost the first manuscript of Riders when she left it on a bus in London. Has anything like that ever happened to you if you lost work or had to start something from scratch all over again? <laughs> yes, I did actually lose the first book that I wrote. I was married at the time and I've written all my books by hand, obviously. And I'd written the first one. It was the first non-Mills and Boone attempt. It was me trying to write funny, nice, romantic, lovely. It was, so it was my normal writing style. And I wrote it all out. And then a girl that worked with my husband at the time, she just volunteered to type it for me. She said she'd absolutely love to do that. So I gave her my one and only copy of my handwritten book. And I never saw it again. I don't know what happened to it. <laughs> the only thing I can tell myself is that it probably was awful. I don't know. But yeah, I kept saying to my husband, how's she getting on with it? Has she got any that she can send me back? You know, the typed up bits. Oh, no, she's getting on with it really well. And she's really enjoying it. She thinks it's fantastic. She's going to give it to you when she's typed up the whole thing. And um, it could be, or maybe it's up in a loft somewhere. I have no idea. I tell myself that it was hopefully rubbish, but uh, it, it might have been good. That's sad, isn't it? So yes, that's something else we've got in common, except that mine was only about sort of 60,000 words. And poor Jilly, when she did that with riders, I mean, I think hers must be about 120,000 or something. So <laughs> hers was worse. For anyone who's never read a Jilly Cooper novel, which one would you recommend they read first? Um, well, definitely Riders or Rivals, which is um, the one that came out directly after that. And Rivals, I particularly loved. It was about television franchises, and it really told you how they go about bidding for these franchises, which is something that I had no idea about before. And by the time I finished reading that book, I felt quite confident that I could bid for a TV franchise myself. <laughs> so either of those, they're both fantastic. That one's more of a straightforward romance, I think, than Riders, perhaps. But no, couldn't fault either of them. They're fab. To finish, if we can go back to your own writing career, when did you join the RNA and what difference has it made to you? Oh, gosh. I can't remember how long ago I joined the RNA. It was a long time. But the thing is, when you start writing, I mean, for, for years, I didn't know it existed because I didn't know any other writers. There was no internet. And I think my agent took me along as a guest, her guest to one of the RNA lunches. And that was the first time I heard of it. I didn't know any of the other writers then. So I joined and then gradually... Thanks to the internet, we did sort of 
start to get to know each other and chat online. And then we'd start meeting up occasionally. And over the years, it's just been brilliant. It's so lovely. I've made so many fantastic friends and, and we just meet up and have the best time because we know what it's like to be writers and people who don't write don't know what it's like. <laughs> they just think that writing a book is so easy and you need fellow writers to commiserate with because they know that it's not easy. And it's sometimes easier if um, one of us complains that they've got completely stuck. I love trying to sort of help out somebody when they say that they've got stuck. It's so much nicer and easier to help out somebody else writing their book than sorting out your own. So I think we all enjoy that. We love meeting up. I don't know what else to say. It's been brilliant. I'm so, so happy that I joined. Jill Mansell, thank you very much. It's been really lovely to talk to you about your writing and, of course, the work of your RNA choice, Jilly Cooper. Thank you so much. It's been lovely. And, dear listener, thanks to you too for listening. Join me again soon for another episode of Romance Aloud, celebrating 60 years of the Romantic Novelists Association. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd be really grateful if you could leave us a positive review. To find out more about the Romantic Novelists Association, go to romanticnovelistsassociation.org. The show notes for this episode, with more information about Jill Mansell and Jilly Cooper, can be found at windhamaudio.com forward slash RNA. That's Wyndham, W-Y-N-D-H-A-M, audio.com forward slash RNA. Take care, and I hope you'll join me again next time. Disappear